Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, January 8th, and we're kicking off Financial's first New Year episode by pitching two great stocks to put on your watch list in the new year. I'm your host, Michael Douglas. I'm joined by Matt Frankel. Matt, I know I'm a week late. I was also on vacation last week, so I'm just wishing everybody a happy new year today. So, happy new year to you, and I, I hope it's been a great 2018 thus far. Yeah, happy new year to you. Hopefully, it's not as cold up there as I think it is. <laughs> well, so it's definitely cold in sunny Alexandria, Virginia, but it was a lot colder in Vermont where I was. In fact, it was so cold that on the drive down, we had our car heated, of course, because that's what you do in the winter, right? So it was 70, 72 degrees indoors. But it was so cold as we were driving that the windows iced on the inside. So my wife was actually using a, a scraper on the windows while I was driving. Wow. It got down to 12 in South Carolina where I am, which is unbelievably cold for the state. Yeah, uh, we were in the negative 20s in Vermont. So it was not, it was a lot of fun in a lot of ways. I actually got to check uh, a bucket list item off my list, which was to hike in sub-zero temperatures. I've done that. I don't plan to repeat it. (laughs) But I'm certainly glad to be in slightly warmer Alexandria, Virginia today. I don't miss the extreme cold of the Northeast at all. Uh, No. And I'm certainly not missing it right now. But to all of our listeners who are in the Northeast, stay bundled up, stay warm, drink an extra cup of hot cocoa for us. All right. So let's turn to a couple stocks just to pitch for kind of the start of the new year. And Matt, why don't you lead us off with Synchrony Financial? Yeah, Synchrony, I tend to refer to it in articles as the biggest credit card company you've probably never heard of. Um, If you have any store credit cards you might already be a customer of theirs. Uh, just to name a couple of the big ones, they issue Walmart store credit cards, Gap, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, I have a Rooms to Go credit card that's issued by Synchrony, uh, and Amazon store card, the one that doesn't have the, um, the Visa logo on it, is a Synchrony product. They also do the Care Credit product, which allows people to finance medical expenses at 0% interest. Um, it's accepted at a ton of doctor's offices nationwide. We use it to finance our vet bills, actually. Um, our, we have one dog that gets sick a lot. But that's kind of an overview of what Synchrony does in 30 seconds. Yeah, and Synchrony's ticker symbol, by the way, uh, folks, is S-Y-F. S like Synchrony, then Y. Why not? <laughs> and F like financial. And I'll note as well, it's interesting because when you look at Synchrony, it functions a lot like a bank. It takes in deposits usually on, as far as I can tell, just on interest-bearing accounts. So we're talking um, money markets and CDs. So if that reminds you of Bank of the Internet a little bit, well, that um, it probably should. And then, as you noted, Matt, it's very, very heavily into credit cards. Yeah, they're becoming more of a deposit-based business model over the past couple of years. Um, their deposit growth with that group was actually very impressive in 2017. Um, right now on Synchrony's website, they have a 12-month CD advertised at 2% interest, which if you've shopped around for a CD recently, is pretty much unheard of. <laughs> yeah, um, They have CDs, longer CDs, up to I think 2.4% right now. Um, so they their business model is similar to be to Bofi that we talked about and some of these other online based banks like uh, the Goldman Sachs Marcus Bank where they 
because they don't have the cost of maintaining brick and mortar banking branches can offer higher, more competitive interest rates to attract deposits. And it looks like it's working, at least in their case. Yeah. So it's interesting because you think about it, sort of the financial hacker crowd in particular, right? The folks who are like, oh, let me find how to get, you know, an APR that's just a little bit better on my money market account, or that's just a little bit better on my CDs. Those are the sort of people who tend to be really attracted to companies like Synchrony Financial and their products on the deposit side. Um, and frankly, um, those are the sort of uh, really um, financially savvy people that the bank tends to want to have as their customers because they're the sort of folks who um, they can hopefully cross sell to later on. Yeah, definitely. Um... On the surface, if you think of how much they're paying out in interest and the fact that a lot of store store cards tend to have a higher default rate than general credit cards. Um, right now, Synchronies is just under 5%, which means for every you know $1,000 in purchases that people make on Synchrony cards, $50 of that is not going to get paid back, which may sound like a very risky business model. But the flip side of that is store credit cards tend to have higher interest rates than standard credit cards. I think the standard, uh, like Visa, MasterCard, American Express, has about a 16% interest rate these days. And store credit cards tend to be in the upper 20s. So the difference in interest rates actually makes an interesting like business dynamic. It makes more than makes up for the higher cost of deposits and the higher default rates. So their um, synchronous profit margins are actually pretty sky high, just to kind of give you a little bit of context. Uh, Synchrony's net interest margin is almost 17% right now. That's more than the average credit card charges in interest period before you factor in things like cost of capital and default rates. So it's a huge profit margin that we're talking about. Yeah, and um, of course, on the flip side is um, is this... This issue that there's going to be probably more volatility in a business like this, just because they're they're in not just a riskier pool in general, which is credit cards, but kind of on the riskier end of the credit card pool. And one of the things that's sort of a caution for me, at least, when looking at this company, is that Synchrony hasn't been public for very long. So their IPO was in 2014. And so we don't have that much historical data. We don't really have a clear sense of what how bad things got during let's say the great recession. And that's certainly something that I tend to like to look uh, look at when I'm um, when I'm considering a fundamentally a loan-based operation like Synchrony. But I've got to say certainly when times are good, it looks pretty darn good. Oh, definitely. And a couple things worth pointing out. First of all, before the IPO that you just mentioned, yeah, uh, Synchrony was a part of General Electric. They were part of the GE Capital Division. And um, they actually they keep enough in reserves to cover if, say, 7% of their loans wound up defaulting. So they actually have a more in reserves than their current charge-off rate by about a 2% margin. Right. So even if things got a little bit worse... They have some cushion to where it could get a lot worse than it is right now, and they would still have enough in reserves to more than just cover their their losses. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the other things that I'll add to that, sort of on the flip side, uh, another green light, if you will, is that it is an incredibly efficient business. I mean, we talk about efficiency ratio 
we want to see an efficiency ratio under 60%, generally speaking. I mean, synchronies is 30.4%. Right. That means for every dollar in revenue they're generating, they're only spending 30 cents to get it. That's a remarkably low efficiency ratio for a bank. Um, the industry standard for a return on assets for a bank is 1%. Synchronies is 2.4%. So this is a very profitable and very efficient business right now. Like you said, I wish I could see what they were doing during the Great Recession or have some kind of context in an environment where things weren't going great. Right. So, but for the time being and in good markets, they're very efficient and very profitable. Yeah. One of the things, one of the other things that we should touch on here is some of those partnerships. So, of course, you mentioned a number of partnerships that they already have, but they've also been adding some new ones lately. Yeah. Um, Zulily is one of their newest ones, and they just recently expanded their partnership with PayPal as well. Um, it's becoming one of their bigger ones. Uh, the Care Credit, uh, the medical financing line that I mentioned earlier, they just recently added, I'm not exactly sure what they're calling it, but it has a, it's a Visa card as well, so you could use it in places other than doctor's offices, which could be a big deal because it's becoming a very popular product for people financing their medical expenses with no interest. Um, so there, there's a bunch of different kind of growth avenues, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them add a few more stores, especially some more online retailers like to add to their Amazon um, in the coming years. I think their, pro, their portfolio is going to get a, a lot bigger. Yeah, it's a very interesting business. And I, I will say again, I think it's definitely sort of only appropriate for the more risk tolerant investor. But for all of that, it is a very interesting company and one that um, certainly has a lot of growth opportunity. And um, the, the hope is, you know, with those low cost deposits, which again, they're still paying out more than anybody else on them, or at least everyone that we're aware of offhand. But their cost base is just so darn low that they can afford to do that. You know, you've you've got to think that that's a pretty good opportunity for the business's growth long term. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's also worth pointing out that interest rates could be a big catalyst over the next couple of years. Um, things like mortgages and auto loans are not directly tied to Federal Reserve rate hikes, but credit cards are. If you look at your credit card cardholder agreements, it generally will say something like uh, prime rate plus a certain percentage. So if the Fed raises rates, you know, six or seven more times over the next three years, like they're going to do, mm-hmm. this could really raise synchronous profit margins. Generally, their deposit payout rates don't raise, don't rise at the same, at the same speed of the Fed rate hikes. Mm-hmm. So this could really even expand their already impressive margin even further. Yeah, there's. I think there's a lot to like there, and um, certainly. I actually plan to do some more due diligence on the company myself. Um, you know, we've done enough for a good summary today, but I want to run it through my ringer. Um, anyone who's been listening to Industry Focus for a long time knows that uh, Dylan Lewis and I did a, a whole episode just on sort of how I think about investing in companies and sort of how I approach that. Um, if you'd like that episode or my write-up on sort of how I approach that, shoot us an email, industryfocus at fool.com, and I'll be happy to dig them both up. But uh, on average, my process takes me about eight hours per company. I didn't quite have that amount of time this morning. So, <laughs> so, especially because I wanted to talk about another stock, Welltower. That's ticker symbol HCN. Now, I'm hearkening back to my healthcare roots here a little bit because Welltower is, it's kind of in a lot of ways a crossover stock. So, it's a financial 
stock, a financial company, because it's a real estate investment trust or a REIT. And, and what that means is real estate investment trusts, as you can tell from the name, <laughs> invest in real estate. And their real focus is in uh, owning property and then. Uh, Usually, I mean, there are also mortgage REITs, but I, I tend to only look at the equity REITs, which own actual property. And then they lease that out to, I mean, if it's an apartment REIT, they lease it out to renters. If they, it's a hospital REIT, then they're leasing it out to hospitals, that space. And they have to pay out 90% of their otherwise taxable income to shareholders in the form of dividends. So they tend to be really powerful dividend stocks. Welltower specifically invests in healthcare and senior focused properties, particularly senior housing. Now, thinking really, really broad brush here, every day from now through 2029, 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65. So there's a lot of reason to like healthcare and senior-focused properties. Oh, and let's also face it, healthcare in general is moving toward cheaper outpatient um, settings. Basically, an attempt to, as all of these, uh, as all these more people continue accessing the healthcare system, trying to find ways to cut costs so that we don't get totally swamped as a society. And as a result, Welltower has really shifted its portfolio toward these lower cost outpatient settings. So anyway, that's all the macro stuff, and that's all well and good. But frankly, when you think about macro healthcare <laughs> or macro aging of America, there are a lot of companies that could theoretically benefit. So the question then is why Welltower specifically? And I think there are two key reasons to like it. One of them is that 93% of Welltower's in place net operating income comes from private pay. So that means not a government insurer. Many senior operators are heavily exposed to government payers. So when Medicare or Medicaid decide to cut rates, they get slammed. Um, that's a big problem for them because it's kind of sometimes a little bit difficult to predict exactly what the government's going to do, particularly when Congress changes parties. And so, Welltower is has 93% of its revenue not dependent, directly at least, on the government. And that's a really good thing um, because that means that, you know, a lot of that's commercial insurance or um, people, you know, buying uh, or renting senior housing themselves. And so, that leaves it and its operators in a stronger position uh, on the whole. The second thing is that they've got what I would consider both geographic density and dispersion. So it's very geographically diverse. It operates across the United States, Canada, and in the UK, but also a lot of density in urban markets. Um, about 15% of operating uh, net income is in uh, Los Angeles, about 9.7% uh, in Boston. You get the idea. Um, these tend to be urban areas with high barriers to entry, permitting isn't easy, building expenses are high, and so that gives them a really nice spot in the market where it's going to be hard for a lot more stuff to come on the market, which basically means that they will, they and their operators will have some pricing power, and that's a really, really good thing for shareholders long term. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Tower generally they consider one of their big competitive advantages to be that their properties are newer than those offered by the competition, and they're in areas where people can afford to utilize their services. As you said, most senior housing is private pay. Um, that's the right kind, in my mind, of senior property to invest in. Uh, the other side is uh, skilled, nurse, skilled nursing facilities, which tend to be more Medicare and Medicaid dependent, which have been absolutely getting crushed lately if you own any of those type of stocks. Yeah. Um, so they tend to like to find properties located in affluent areas. They're actually developing 
one in Midtown Manhattan right now, which is a very underserved market. And also and I, pretty wealthy. Yeah, definitely. And with the idea being that the people who live there could actually afford to privately pay for their services, um, kind of giving them a competitive advantage over people, over other companies who might own senior housing, you know, in less affluent markets. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, looking at all of that, my you know sort of initial thought is like, wow, fantastic stock, right? On the flip side, there are a couple of things that I think any investor who's thinking about Welltower should be aware of. Now, it's one of the largest REITs in the country, and so Welltower isn't in the same ballpark of synchrony financial in terms of sort of volatility and risk, I think. But when you look at it, there are still a couple things to consider, one of which is, so Welltower is about 70% of their property is senior housing. Um, of that 70%, 36% is is represented by a single operator, Sunrise Senior Living. And the top five partners add up to 76% of, again, that 70%. So, a significant portion of their money is concentrated in just a few businesses. And so, if you invest in Welltower, you're also investing in, in a bet, essentially, that Welltower has picked good businesses to work with, and that those businesses aren't going to then have something happen to them. And this is one of the problems with REITs, is that their money is largely dependent on, well, other people. And so, it's not just, do they do a good job of mitigating risk on their side, but also do the people that they're serving, you know, the folks who are tenants, who are operators, also do a good job of that. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to figure out. And so that's definitely, for me, something that should always kind of keep an eye on and be aware of. Yeah, and in Wealthower's case, it's also um, interesting to point out that uh, senior housing makes up about 70% of their portfolio. About half of that is structured as operating partnerships with their with their tenants like Sunrise. Uh, Brookdale's another big one. Mm-hmm. That I'm not sure the exact percentage. It's less than 35%, but it's still a significant portion. Um, so if the underlying, co- if the tenant cut does well, if the properties are generating a profit, Well Tower benefits from that as well. They're not just the landlord collecting a check, which is an interesting, interesting distinction between them and say an apartment REIT, which mm-hmm. generally just collects a check from from their tenants. Yeah, and that does mean in some ways that Welltar gets to participate extra in upside, but it also is going to participate extra in downside. And so, in, in some ways, that makes them a little bit riskier. Of course, I think whenever you buy a company, to some extent, not just to some extent, I think it's core, actually, <laughs> that you're betting on management and that you're betting that they're good people who kind of know what they're doing. So, I'd say both trustworthy and competent. And if you're concerned about that, don't buy. Straight up, just don't do it. And so for me, you know, I'm comfortable with Well Tower's management team and, and what they're doing. Another thing to point out here is that, you know, we just talked about how Synchrony Financial will probably benefit. It'll probably have a catalyst as a result of these uh, interest rate increases that are signaled by the Fed. Well, REITs as a whole tend to suffer when interest rates increase, and so Well Tower is sort of on the other side of that because they're taking out debt to fund new properties, to buy other properties, and things like that. And so, what that means is that new debt is going to cost them more money, which means that their profit margin on what they're able to make on other properties will decrease, all other things being equal. And so, that's really kind of a 
problem for REITs as a whole. It's probably one of the reasons that Welltower's stock hasn't really done that well in the last year. And of course, flip side of that is, I tend to think that when the tide goes out, you tend to see who's quality and who's not. And that can be really, really helpful, actually, for investing in, well, for example, REITs. You look at Welltower's balance sheet, which is, uh, I think, appropriately levered, and you look at their um, their uh, debt uh, profiles from the rating agencies, the Moody's of the world, and generally things look pretty good. And so my hope is that while all REITs will suffer, some will suffer a lot more than others. And so folks like Welltower, if they have a competitive advantage, will that will express itself more fully in the coming years. Yeah, definitely. And um, I already mentioned that the Fed is expected to hike rates several more times over, over the next few years. The thing to really pay attention to is if that happens quicker or slow, more slowly than expected. Um, if the Fed ten- actually ends up hiking rates quicker than we think they're going to, that's when you're going to see the REIT sector really take a beating, which is what happened in 2017. Um, REITs were barely up for the year, while the you know the rest of the market was up by 20 or 25 percent. So this is kind of the thing to keep an eye on. I think a lot of the interest rate hikes are most are mainly priced in at this point, which is why you know Well Tower is, I believe, and I think Michael does too, on sale right now. Yes. <laughs> um, it's one of the few areas of the market that actually looks really attractively valued, and that's why, because they're expecting so many interest rates ahead. In 2017, the economy improved a lot quicker than people thought it would, and that was a very negative thing for most of the REIT sector. Um, like you said, you, quality REITs should be fine no matter what, um, should do better than most, and Well Tower is definitely a quality REIT. So I like Well Tower here. In full disclosure, I own they're the other big healthcare REIT, uh, HCP, which I'd say is 90, 90% the same same business idea. Um, so this is one area of the market that is still a, a bargain right now. Yeah, and I'm certainly thinking about my REIT exposure this year in 2018. That's actually one of my New Year's resolutions is to think about my uh, about rebalancing my portfolio and thinking through which sectors I think are most attractive in the coming years. So we'll talk, I'm sure, quite a bit more about that this year. Um, Matt, as always, thanks for your time. Folks, that's it for this week's financial show. And by the way, that's also it for next week's financial show, because we won't be having a financial show. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we will be out. Full HQ is closed. Questions, comments? You can always reach us at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. 